As the survivors of the Portuguese shipwreck Sao Bento walked north along the coast of Africa, they found traces all along their way of those who had passed before them. Only two years before, the Sao Joao had wrecked on the same shore. Survival among the people who had been on the Sao Joao had been minimal, and those on the Sao Bento could only hope that fate would be more kind to them. Hello, and welcome to the Shipwreck Archive. Thank you. Would you happen to have the Sao Bento joins the Sao Joao? Here we are. Enjoy! Heavily laden and storm-battered, Sao Joao sought desperately for a safe place to land those on board of her. Her sails were in tatters, and she had none left after fighting contrary winds, and in favor of carrying more cargo, she was not carrying much in the way of spare supplies to enable them a lengthy fight against the contrary winds they were encountering. Captain Manuel de Sousa, his wife and children, as well as some men to guard them, were carried to shore by the ship's boat. The boat would make several more trips before being overturned by the rough seas. The Sao Joao was then intentionally run towards the shore, with the intention of allowing people to disembark safely. Unfortunately, this caused the ship to break into pieces almost immediately, throwing both people and cargo into the sea. More than a hundred lives were lost in that initial wreck. After some days salvaging what they could and allowing the people who had been injured to recover, the group of over 500 set out on a months-long trek up the coastline. Out of this group, only 25 would arrive in Mozambique, but they left behind them signs that they had been there, as well as people who had decided they would walk no further. This would be a trail the next group of Portuguese castaways would follow. The Sao Bento was built in 1551 and was intended for the trade that Portugal had built with India. At 900 tons, she was considered a large vessel, capable of carrying large amounts of cargo back to Portugal for her owners. In March 1553, she began her first voyage as part of a fleet under the command of Fernão Alvarez Cabral. Having loaded a return cargo full of the usual trade goods, especially spices in Cochin, modern Kochi, India, she parted on the 1st of February 1554. Like the Sao Joao before her, she would almost immediately encounter rough seas and contrary winds. Unfortunately for those on board, her troubles were just beginning. Off of the coast of modern South Africa, a serious storm hit the Sao Bento. Her helm and rudder were damaged, making the ship difficult to handle. The Sao Bento, now steering with sails alone, was directed towards the nearest land with the idea of finding a safe place to ground the ship. The ship never reached the shore. Instead, it came to rest on a rocky ledge, possibly Misikaba Island, near the Misikaba River mouth. When the ship struck bottom, it split with the lower part of the ship stuck on the rocks, but the upper works of the ship washed further onto the shore. With the upper works of the ship gone, 
The only parts of the hulk that remained visible over the sea were the castles of the ship. People did their best to take refuge on the castles, but the waves were so heavy that they found themselves washed away or underwater. With the water filled with wreckage, many people found things to grab a hold of, and more people who were still on the ship began to grab a hold of barrels and other pieces of wood and jump into the sea. Not everyone was confident in their ability to fight the sea, however, and they remained on the wreck even though it was in danger of breaking up. Finally, a new idea presented itself in the form of the ship's mast. The mast was now more of a danger to the ship than something to help it. Every time a wave hit the ship, the weight of the mast kept them lower in the water and seemed to put them in danger of the wreck tilting. It was decided that they should chop it down. They did so strategically, making it fall in the direction of the land, and once they had, it looked almost like a bridge having fallen with the end very close to dry land. Everyone who could managed to pile on it, but just as it was fully loaded with people hoping to use it as an escape, a series of heavy waves hit it and lifted it. The mast was thrown around by the sea enough that everyone who had clung to it was now thrown off. The only person to reach the shore from the mast was a man who had already survived a wreck only a few years before. Manuel de Castro was one of the few people who had survived the long hike under the command of Manuel de Sousa after the wreck of the Sao Joao. Now he found himself wrecked once again, near the location of his first shipwreck. He dragged himself to shore over the rocks, his leg entirely mangled from where it had been trapped between the ship and the mast. Unfortunately, his initial survival of the wreck did not spare him, and the next night he died from its injuries. He was not alone in being injured by the wreckage of the ship. All over the water were pieces of wreck that offered flotation aids on one hand, but floating hazards for those trying to swim ashore on the other. So many people were injured by the wreckage that the water was described as turning red in the area around the wreck. The majority of those who survived were those who had remained on what was left of the ship's hulk. Many of them were not able to swim and were unwilling to abandon the stability of the ship, even if the wreck was breaking up. This proved to be a wise decision, since as the ship broke up, the places that people were still clinging to floated to the shore. Once they had assembled, they found they were on a rocky outcrop away from the mainland at high tide. Since the tide was beginning to come in, those that could walk carried those who could not due to their injuries, and they began to think about setting up camp. The first night after the wreck was spent miserably, huddled for warmth wherever they could. All of the survivors were poorly dressed, since they had stripped down to underclothes and simple layers when it had become clear that they were going to wreck since it would give them a better chance of reaching the shore. The next morning, they set about combing the beach for things they could wear, as well as things that could make their stay more comfortable, including food. As they scavenged, they also had the stark reminder of the heavy toll of life that the wreck had caused, as bodies washed on shore. In total, 44 Portuguese and over 100 slaves had died when the Sao Bento wrecked. On the shore now fighting for their survival were 99 Portuguese 
and 224 slaves. The shelters that the castaways built was not of the usual sort pictured after the shipwreck made of driftwood. Instead, they scavenged carpets, gold cloth, and silks from the shore. These goods had belonged to all of the wealthy and influential people on the ship, but now they were just floatsome, washing to shore, and the group knew that they would not be able to take them with them or sell them for their value, so they might as well use them now. Among the survivors was Captain Fernão Álvarez Cabral, who remained in command of the party. Manuel de Mesquite Pestrello also survived, and seems to have been one of the people in the best condition out of the group. He had been one of the people who had clung to the wreckage until it had floated to shore. A Portuguese navigator by trade, Mesquite Pedestrello was soon tasked by the captain to go survey the land they found themselves in and report back. With twelve of the most healthy men in their group, Mesquite Pedestrello took a day's trek up the river in hopes of finding a place that they would be able to safely cross it. They found none. The current of the river was too powerful, and there were sharp rocks on the banks. It did not take long for the local population to take notice of their situation and come to investigate. Though there was a large language barrier between the two groups, the Sao Bento group was able to learn that there was a place a long distance away that the river could be forded. This was definitely not the information that the survivors of the Sao Bento had hoped for, but their visitors also gave them some hope, even if they did not realize it. Around the necks of one of the men who entered their camp, were red beads that the Portuguese recognized as Portuguese trade goods. That goods from Portuguese ships had reached this group along the coast meant that they could hope that they could follow the path that the beads had taken to a point where they might encounter their countrymen. As their guests had left, the group gathered to discuss their options. Their discussion suggests that they were well informed about the events of the past few years as it pertained to Portuguese travelers. It had rained for days, a sign that winter was now in the region, and their food was running out. Staying on the beach was not an option. First, it was suggested to go south towards Cape of Good Hope, but this was quickly dismissed. The travel would be rough if they went in that direction, and fewer Portuguese ships stopped there and they were worried about the reception they would receive from the locals, since Francisco de Almeida had died in a fight with the Quecue there in 1510. The next thought was that they could follow the path of the survivors of the São João before them, and see if they could find help to the north. They knew that Lorenzo Marquis had been planning a trip to trade for ivory when they left India, and if they could travel north and reach the Lorenzo Marquis River before he departed, the area he had given his name, they would be rescued. On the 27th of April, the group headed north, armed with whatever they had been able to save from the wreck, and carrying as much iron as they could to use for trade for supplies from anyone they should meet. Those that were in better condition helped those who were too injured to walk well, though the group left behind a young boy and a woman, both of whom had broken both of their legs, since the group did not think they would survive the journey. Even so, Mesquite Perestrello estimated that a fourth of their group was still using sticks as canes and crutches 
as they began their journey. Initially, the group marched inland, but on finding no one willing to sell them supplies and nothing they could live off of, they turned towards the coastline. The coast at least would give them a chance to hunt for shellfish and fish, and the river mouths had sandbars that would allow them to more easily cross. They did eventually reach the Umzimvubu, but along the way, people were already starting to drop off of the group. The walk was not an easy one, and with so many people badly injured in the wreck and with little supplies to comfort them, this was unfortunately just the beginning. After 13 days walking, they found the seashore again, arriving at the exact location that the Sao Joao had been wrecked. Following the ocean shore offered everyone an easier walk, and they found enough mussels and other shellfish that they were no longer in danger of starving. As they walked along the beach for days, they also came across the first group of people who were willing to trade, and they were able to exchange some of the iron they had brought for seed cakes. Here, they also encountered a man who had been left behind after the Sao Joao wreck. But even though they asked that he come along with them to act as a guide since he had learned the country, he refused. Instead, they left behind two of the Portuguese passengers and 30 of the slaves, all of whom refused to travel further and instead remained in the village. A few days later, they encountered a young man named Gaspar, who had also been left behind the wreck of the Sao Joao, and he joined them. The group now had become worried that there was a chance that they were not traveling fast enough to reach the river of Lorenzo Marquis before its namesake left it. They sent four sailors ahead of them, people who said they were confident in their ability to live off the land, with letters to tell people of their plight and hopefully delay the departure of Lorenzo Marquis. Meanwhile, the main group trudged on. Along their journey, they continued to encounter groups that they were able to trade with, and people who had been left behind by de Souza, as his group had traveled north after the wreck of the Sao Joao. A few of these people joined the group from the Sao Bento, but many of them chose to remain in the villages they had settled in. The survivors from the Sao Bento were warned that the area they were heading into was much rougher and had far fewer supplies than where they were now. When they reached the St. Lucia River, the decision was made to raft across it, even though Captain Alvarez Cabral seemed reluctant to do so, and suggested that instead they walk up the river until they could find a safer place to ford the river. By now, there was beginning to be some tension between the captain and the common sailors, who had made the boatswain their leader, and the captain found his wishes disregarded. Most of the people had safely crossed when he got on the raft, with several passengers, servants, and Gaspar. They knew enough to distribute the weight carefully, but in the middle of the river, one of the passengers got spooked and he rashly jumped overboard and swam to shore. This upset the balance of the raft and pitched everyone from it into the rushing river. The only one to survive the ordeal, other than the person who had upset the balance in the first place, was Gaspar, who proved to be a good swimmer. After the burial ceremony for Captain Alvarez Cabral, they continued their journey. Since the majority of the surviving Portuguese were sailors, they insisted on electing the boatswain as their new captain as they continued under his command. The journey was far rougher now than it had been before. The people they encountered were too poor to give them anything, 
inclined to attack them or would leave them empty-handed when they learned that the survivors of the Salbento had run out of things to trade goods for. Due to the frequent skirmishes, the hardship of travel, and starvation, the group's numbers were reduced to 56 Portuguese and 6 slaves when they reached the southeastern shore of Maputo Bay. Here there was very little food, and even more of their number passed away. It seemed as though they were doomed to fail in leaving the coast when a Portuguese trading vessel from Mozambique, commanded by Captain de Lemos, arrived. From him, they learned that if they had waited for Levencho Marquis to arrive, they would have been severely disappointed. He had been shipwrecked on his voyage as well. He had never reached the Lorenzo Marquis River to trade for ivory. In total, 20 Portuguese and 3 slaves boarded the Portuguese ship. The stark difference in the percentage of the survival of the two groups speaks strongly to the distribution of resources on their long trek. On March 20th, 1555, they set sail for Mozambique, a place where the survivors would be able to find further passage home on their nation's frequent trade vessels. In 1968, bronze cannons were discovered by G.N. Harris 400 miles from the mouth of the Miscaba. Other artifacts had been found in the area, but the cannons were a definitive mark of a ship having wrecked. Using the detailed notes of Manuel de Mesquite Padastrello, they were able to determine that the ship they had found was likely to be the Saubento. Using his description of the survivor's trek from Saubento to the wreck of São Joao, they were eventually able to find the wreck of that ship as well, though less remains of the São Joao. The site of the São Bento wreck has now been well documented by people from the Natal Museum. Many of the guns that were found have now also been preserved. The São Bento would not be the last Portuguese ship to wreck along the coast, and every wreck to follow learned from those to come before. The Santiago which wrecked in 1585, had 30 survivors out of 85 who initially reached the shore, a stark contrast to the Sao Bento's 25 total survivors out of 322 who had survived the wreck. By the wreck of the Santo Alberto in 1593, they had learned even more. Out of 225 people who had reached the shore, 182 reached their final destination. The stories that were told by each set of shipwreck victims helped the chances of those to follow. Manuel de Mesquite Pestrello wrote a detailed report of the wreck of the Sao Bento, which was later translated and published in Records of Southeastern Africa by George McCall Thiel in 1898. We relied heavily on this account as well as our other sources in the description below. Thank you for listening. Thank you for visiting the Shipwreck Archives. See you soon.